to the Redeemer Students Podcast. My name is JT Stead, and I'm your host. I'm also the student and outreach pastor here at Redeemer Church. And what you're about to listen to was a sermon that was preached at our Wednesday night gathering from 6.30 to 8.30 with our students. So I hope that this sermon is encouraging and a blessing to you today. Thanks for listening. That would be How about technology? Our phones and social media... They may be necessary and beneficial. Without boundaries or limits, we will spend too much time filling our minds with information that is unnecessary and comparing our lives to others. So our use of technology can easily become a life-dominating activity. Possessions. We like stuff. Betsy mentioned a couple of weeks ago how much she likes stuff. And we all do. We like stuff. And God does provide possessions for us to use, but sometimes we care just a little bit too much about our stuff. It might be clothes or collections or accessories, anything tangible that we can buy. And then there's people, and this goes a little bit with what Molly said last time, when we have a fear of man. God has given us people to form a community. Hebrews 10, 24, and 25 calls us to be in community with other believers. And he says it's a necessary part of our Christian faith, but sometimes we make the people in our lives more important than God. We might find ourselves caring more about what they think than what God thinks. So people. But the one that we said we wanted to talk the most about tonight is physical appearance. So how about our physical appearance? Along with what others think about the way we look, how could that become an idol? When we become obsessed with how we appear to others and overwork ourselves in order to gain approval from them, we are caring more about what others think than what God thinks. Another way we might do this is to watch the world around us and try to copy them when their standards are not the same as God's. So all of these things can become idols, but let's talk about the physical appearance one. So perhaps you struggle with this every day. And it's exhausting, or maybe you don't think that you do. Uh, but let's see how you might answer these questions. This will help us to know where we're at and where when we try to decide if we're struggling with uh, physical appearances and idol. Do you ever have the thought that your life would be better if just one or two things were different about the way you looked? So an example of this might be your hair color, your eye color, your clothing size, your nose. But maybe there's just one thing that you wish you could change about your appearance. Or how about this? Do you find yourself comparing yourself to others when you walk into a room to see just how you measure up against them? Examples of this could be checking to see who is prettier than you, in your opinion, or a different size than you, or who wears nicer clothes than you do. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about how you can make your appearance different? or work really hard to downplay those features that you don't like? Do you fear that someone might see you without makeup or your hair done? Do you hate the way you look without makeup? Do you need a lot of clothes or accessories to feel confident? Do you ever just get tired of thinking about it all? But what does the Bible say about this? How can we think rightly about how God made our bodies, and how can we care for them properly without obsessing over them? Does God even care about this? It might be helpful to define obsession, an idea or a thought that continually preoccupies 
or intrudes on a person's mind, or I like this definition the best, a persistent disturbing preoccupation with an often unreasonable idea or feeling. <clears throat> I may not be able to do anything about this, but I can't stop thinking about it, right? So let's ask this question of ourselves. What am I obsessing about in my physical appearance? And remember our definition of idolatry when you're asking yourself this, when I care more about what I think of something than what God thinks about it. I thought it would be good if we looked in the Bible <coughs> to see there are many examples of this in the Bible, but I liked the first one for tonight. The first time this ever happened was in Genesis 3. So if you can turn to Genesis 3, we're going to just look at some of those verses to see how Eve got caught up in this idea. <coughs> Genesis 3, verses 1 through 7. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, Did God actually say that you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said, You shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, and neither shall you touch it, lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate, and she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. And then the eyes of both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves loincloth. Here we have the first example of idolatry, right? It's interesting here in verse 1, because Satan asks Eve a question about God's directives, his command about the rules for consuming fruit in the garden. So we could spend lots of time talking about Satan's tactics here. And in fact, I really wanted to just go, kind of go off and study those. But I said, no, 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 we're coming back and sticking it out here. Um, there's plenty to say about that, too. But his, his question, though, indicates something to us. It indicates that God did indeed give instructions for the fruit consumption in Eden. So then we have to go back to Genesis 2, 16 and 17 to see what the specifics were on this. <coughs> Genesis 2, 16. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of, the, of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. So, what do we see? We see that God told them that they could eat of any tree they wanted, but they could not eat of one tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Let's ask this question. What would be harmful about eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil? What do you think was so would be so bad about that? Any ideas? In this time in history, there is nothing bad. We don't understand it because there's plenty of bad things in the world. In this time in history, there is nothing, nothing bad. 
Eve doesn't need a knowledge of good and evil because there is no evil. She does not need to know anything for wisdom. But it says here in uh, Genesis 3 that she saw that it was good for wisdom. What does she need wisdom for? She doesn't need to decide whether to make a good choice or a bad choice. There aren't bad things right now. So just think about how crafty Satan is when he comes to us a lot of times, right? We are busy thinking in the moment, and Eve doesn't even realize that she doesn't need these things that Satan is telling her that she needs, right? But she decided it was a good idea, so she went ahead. Let's see here what it says. Um, consuming this fruit, I do want to say this. Consuming this fruit, what will happen? It will cause them to all of a sudden recognize good things from bad things. They have had, up to this point in history, an amazing relationship with the Lord. In fact, the Bible tells us he comes and he walks with them and he has communion and fellowship with them on a regular basis. They only know that God is amazing. They don't know anything else, right? And in this moment, all of a sudden, she starts to think to herself, perhaps God is hiding something from me, right? I also want to point something out, too, that if we were sitting in Eve's shoes, we would have done the same thing. We could not look at Eve and say, ah, I don't know better. Because we would not have known better. Because God always gives us the choice to follow him. And plenty of times in our life, <clears throat> we don't choose to follow him. So, Satan then said to Eve, let's go back to this part where it says, did God say that you cannot eat any of the fruit around you? I find this really interesting because he knew what God said to her, but he wanted to rearrange the words just a little bit to kind of give her, I don't know, just a, just a question. I don't really know what God said. So Eve, Eve did, you know, we got to give her a little credit here. She attempted to clear up any misinformation that the serpent had regarding the rule, and so she repeated God's commandment accurately to them. And the serpent put some creative commentary into his response by noting that it really wasn't about death. You won't die. Does he even know what dying is right now? No. You won't die. It's really about God keeping Eve from something amazing. This is really what he was saying, right? So what is that something amazing that he was talking about? Eve wanted to be like God. She wanted something more. She believed she was withholding something from her that she desired to have. This is just like idolatry in our own lives, right? <clears throat> I want to worship that thing, or I want that thing so badly, and I believe that God is withholding something from me often, right? And I choose to do this. Um, so what was she hoping for in taking this fruit? She was hoping for some treasure to make her life more amazing. This sounds so ridiculous to us because Eve was living the most amazing life of any human being, right? But she didn't believe that all of a sudden. So I want to also, if, if, if you only take one thing home tonight, this is it. God's commands are never, ever keeping us from something great. Ever. So that's going to be one of the first things that Satan will come to us with. Hmm, I wonder about this. But the truth really is, God's commands are never keeping us from something great. So, where do we do this in our own lives on a daily basis? How can we apply this 
situation in Genesis 3 to our idolatry now and our personal appearance. Uh, the question can be asked about any, any area of our life, but we're going to start by asking Caitlin the question to see what she has to say. Caitlin, <laughs> would you say that you have ever struggled with the thought that your life would be better if you looked differently? So, this reminds me a lot of when I was actually your guys' age in middle and high school. Um, I'm reminded of the fact that I put such an emphasis on how I looked because my life at home was not great at the time. Actually, in that picture that we put sophomore year, I remember being elated that I was homecoming princess. And part of that was because I wanted to put on this facade like um, everything was going great, but I had a pretty broken home life at the time. I wanted to mask how I looked on the outside because if anyone inquired any deeper into how I was really doing, then I'd probably have to be honest about where I was struggling. I think we all kind of do this in different ways. Um, I didn't like how I looked, and this led me to a path of unhealthy choices, trying to manage my appearance. I was eating disorderly and following whatever my heart told me was right, and we know that our hearts are deceitful. But I didn't know at the time that what I was doing was actually wrong or sinful. It was really all I knew and all that was around me. Um, And I think that's true of a lot of us here. We often don't think deep enough to recognize if we're actually engaging in sinful thinking long enough to do something about it. When I got to the bottom of it, I knew that in my heart I believed, like Eve, that God had made a mistake, well, not this part, sorry, that God had made a mistake with how he made me. I believed that he was withholding good things from me. This reminds me of Eve in the garden, as Julie mentioned. Eve believed deep down that God was withholding what would be best for her and short-selling her a life that would not be fulfilling or enjoyable. She thought, if I just have this thing, then I'd be happy. And that's kind of how I thought. And that may be how you think today. Insert whatever sin regarding your appearance, appearance there. If I was blank, I would be happy. But did that actually satisfy me? Did Eve uh, lead a better, happier, more fulfilled life? No, obviously. I had believed a lie. That's exactly how Satan, the lies of our culture, and our flesh work against us. You need to know, girls, today that the world is not neutral towards you. They are trying to sell you something that is appealing to you, and they promise a certain outcome, but they often over-promise and under-deliver. It will not satisfy So, what happened next? Well, Eve was once naked and unashamed before God, not embarrassed of how she looked, content in the way God made her. But after she sinned, what did she feel? It says that she was naked and ashamed. She tried to cover herself. She developed a sense of shame that she hadn't had previously because of her sin. And I did too when I saw my sin for what it was. This verse is what struck me and brought me out of that. Colossians 2, 20-23. If with Christ you died to the elemental spirits of the world, why, as if you were still alive in the world, do you submit to regulations? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. Referring to things that all perish as they are used. According to human precepts and teaching. These, indeed, these laws have an appearance of wisdom in promoting self-made religion and asceticism, which is uh, like how you look, and severity to the body, but they are of no value in stopping the indulgence of your flesh. 
So what was I doing by trying to manage my insecurity of not looking how I wanted by setting up rules and regulations? Do not eat this, only eat that, exercise like this. It was a way to stop my flesh from desiring wrong things, but it had no power over me. So if that was wrong, me trying to you know, manage uh, by my own man-made rules, what was right? Well, today our goal in this conversation is to leave you with a plan of knowing how to identify where your sin is and what to do about it. So Julie, now I have a question for you. Have you ever walked into a room and tried to see how you might measure up against those who are already in there? Haven't we all done this? I mean, really, we're quick about this. We can size up a place in just a matter of seconds to find out where we fall in the lineup. And I remember even being as young as second grade, wishing that I measured up with my clothing that the other kids around me in school were wearing. Deep down, we all desire to be thought well of and liked. And it's common for us to even start thinking that our personal appearance will get us that satisfaction. When we see someone who appears to have it all figured out or look more like we wish we looked, our tendency is to be discontent and to even covet what they have or what they have achieved in their lives. This could be anything from clothing to body type. There are many different abilities. Uh, we, We could find ourselves coveting in a room in just a minute. Middle school was tough for me for lots of reasons, but my mom had some pretty solid rules for dress and body care, and she did not want us to adopt an idea uh, of the world. And so she was super particular about that and would not allow us to to even do some of the things that all my friends were doing. And so this made me struggle a little bit because I wanted to be like the other girls. It's so easy to be tempted in this, but we have to remember, it says in 1 Corinthians 10, 13, that God will provide a way of escape in that moment. When you are in the room and you see your side of things up and you're wondering where you fall and you're starting to worry about your physical appearance, just remember God will give you a way out of this. You can start to think rightly about him in just one moment. We have to remember this is true. He um, has, his purpose for us is for us to bring glory to him. And we aren't doing that when we're walking around the room wondering, oh, I wish I had blonde hair, I wish I had blue eyes, I wish I was a different size, whatever it is. My life would not be better, this is the truth from the Lord, my life would not be better if I just had this one thing that I'm wishing for in the moment. You can go back to Eve, her life was not better, though she believed it would be. But Caitlin, your turn. Do you spend a lot of time thinking about how to make your appearance better? I was thinking these questions are very vulnerable, so we hope that you are blessed by them and you can maybe answer them yourself. Um, In short, but I'm happy to be vulnerable for you guys. Um, In short, I did most of my life. Um, As some of you guys know, I grew up in Southern California, which is known for Hollywood, beauty, fashion, all things like that. Um, And you're also, you know, wearing a bathing suit year round. You're at the beach all the time. There's just so much opportunity for comparison. Um, I also grew up competitively dancing, so I was in a world of beauty, talent, makeup, all the things. Um, And I also grew up with two younger sisters who were also beautiful and talented. 
It's easy to compare, especially with sisters, because in a lot of ways we were similar. Um, people would joke we have really strong genes in our family. There's not one person without blonde hair and blue eyes. Um, and most of us are short <laughs> as well. So what's natural to do with that? Well, Taylor, my sister, is taller than me. So Caitlin's the shortest. Still am. Um, Mackenzie has bluer eyes than Taylor, and that must be more beautiful. And I grew up comparing myself internally as well. It wasn't just what people had to say, but what I believed about myself as well. I didn't think I was as beautiful as my sisters, my friends, or the people I saw on TV and social media. So what did I think was the answer to this? Well, if I could just figure out how to make myself, my appearance, my talent, just as good or better than I'd be set. Or if I could just excel in some other area that they weren't good in, then I wouldn't have to worry about those things that I felt efficient in. What I didn't know at this time was that I was misunderstanding that beauty is a blessing from God. And by the way, we're talking about the past, but both Julie and I can say that this happens in our normal everyday life now. So um, as women, we often as a whole love to beautify things. We make things around us look more appealing. And this is a blessing. It's how God made us. We also know that beauty itself, an amazing sunset, clear blue sky, is itself beautiful because God made it that way. This also includes physical beauty, believe it or not. God has made people beautiful on the inside and the out. Why? Because God himself is beautiful. He's the standard of beauty and we are made in his image. But we often miss out on praising the Lord for his beauty because we're so consumed with how our beauty measures up or our ideal measures up to the person next to us. And when we focus so much on that, we don't realize that what we're actually doing is what the Bible calls coveting or jealousy, which is a sin. You see, I think a lot of uh, women um, use euphemisms like insecurity, and we end up nursing an idea in our head because we feel like it's justified or right. We'll tell others, well, no, that makes total sense that you feel sad about that. You are the shortest girl in your class. That was me most of my life. It's okay to be jealous that someone's taller than you. That's normal. And while it is normal and even understandable as a sinful human being, this isn't okay or helpful to make excuses for what God calls sin. We have to choose to not bathe in self-pity and insecurity, and instead we need to start calling it what the Bible calls it, which is usually pride, jealousy, and coveting. Proverbs 14:30 says, "A heart at peace gives life to the body, but envy rots the bones." Or Job 5:2 says, "For anger slays the foolish man, and jealousy kills the simple." God is really serious about sin. We need to call sin what it is so that we can repent of it. And often, at the heart of our dissatisfaction with our appearance is jealousy and coveting. So when I was spending too much time thinking about my appearance and how to make it better, I had to come to terms with the fact that what I was doing was trying to alleviate my insecurity or my pride, which is the Bible's term for it, by managing my appearance to make myself feel happier. But... Again, it didn't do that. Like Proverbs says, it was slowly rotting my bones. I had to admit my sin, confess it, repent, and ask the Lord to help me praise him because he is beautiful. And he made me in his image. And I can appreciate the beauty around me 
even in those that I may feel jealous of, because he's the one that saw fit to give them that. So, Julie, have you ever struggled with the fear of others seeing you when you weren't quite ready yet? Like made up and beautiful? Well, I mentioned that in middle school, those were really hard years for me. But my mother gave us a lot more freedom when we were in high school. So in response to that, I wore makeup, watched it, shoes, earrings, clothes, an extensive manicure routine. These all became a part of my life, very ritualistic and methodical. I needed to make sure that I was presentable. So much time spent on myself. And I did have a fear of being seen in my natural state. In fact, one day I was sassy with my mother and she said, you're not wearing mascara to school. I was 15. It was the end of the world. These people were not ever going to see me without that. So I sneaked it off and put it on there, and she found out it was ugly day. But I just <laughs> couldn't let someone see me not finish. That is not appropriate. And your nails. You had a very good nail routine. I'm telling Caitlin about my nail routine the other day. She, she kind of laughed. Um, <laughs> because neither of us do our nails, so I was like, oh, wow, you had an extensive yeah. But it reminds me of Romans 12, 3. Uh, the Bible cautions us against thinking more highly of ourselves than we ought. So excessive amounts of time obsessing about my personal appearance would have to fall into this category. So Caitlin, what do we do when the Holy Spirit convicts us of sin in these areas? It's a good question. I'm sure that's where everyone's thinking. Often I find that when we have these types of conversations, usually even before I finish the conversation, the person asks, well, then what do I do if I, if I know that I'm thinking wrongly, you know? Um, and I actually believe the answer is, is more simple than you may think. Um, it's not complex, but it just isn't always easy. I find that's pretty true about a lot of things. Usually your answer is not super complex, but it's just really hard to do. Um, so I like to broaden it out a bit. I want to give you some helpful tools that, that help me when I am trying to diagnose my heart. Um, So what do we do when we realize we're in sin in other situations? What does the Bible say? First, we are to confess our sin. Proverbs 28, 13 says, Whoever conceals their sins does not prosper, but the one who confesses and renounces them finds mercy. So first, we need to confess what we are actually thinking that is sinful. What's at the root of the issue? A few helpful questions I usually ask myself and pray through to get at the root of the issue of where my sin is, is number one, why did I believe this in the first place? What standard am I working from? Give you time to write that down. (laughs) Number two, what am I believing wrongly about God? And number three, what am I believing wrongly about myself? Often I think that we don't ask enough questions to figure out where our sin is. If you're confused on where your sinful thinking begins, it's always important to ask the question, why? I was telling Julie, we often hear people resolve to change something about themselves, like managing their weight or coming up with a new exercise routine, and I rarely hear the response to that desire of why. This reveals our heart and where we're working from. For example, as I shared earlier in my sinful thinking, came in, I believed that I would be happier if God made me a different way. So what standard was I working from? Well, I think if I was honest with myself, I had to meet a standard of what my ideal appearance 
and body looked like. I wanted to be what the world would call healthy and beautiful, and I wasn't asking the question, what would God want? So I had to first be honest that I was working from a standard that the world had and not one that was from God's word. Secondly, what was I saying about God? Bottom line is I was saying that he didn't know what he was doing when he made me. Psalm 139 wasn't true at all. That he wasn't trustworthy or in control or loving to me and how he made me. And lastly, what I was believing about myself was that I actually had control to change my happiness on my own by trying to make myself look better. And the truth was I have absolutely no control in my life and I can rest in the fact that God is in control and he loves me as his child. After I address my heart and figure out where my sinful thinking is, um, I wanna put this part in too. Sometimes it's helpful to ask other people. I often will go to Julie and be like, I have this problem. And I just say all the things I'm thinking and she's asking me like, where do you, where do you think that came from? And then I answer and then she just says, yeah, but what do you wear, really? Like, it's always a little deeper. So sometimes it helps to ask. That's why I have life group leaders. little plug for that. Um, after I address my heart and figure out where my sinful thinking is, I confess these things I've learned to God in prayer. Next, repentance and putting off. What I mean by this is repentance means to have a change of mind, to walk a different direction than you were originally going. In order to do this, you have to begin to believe something different than what you previously did. The Bible calls this a practice of putting off. Colossians 3 says this to believers who have been saved and are now asking, what do we do? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil, desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. We are putting off wrong thinking and choosing not to believe what we did that was unbiblical. So now that we've confessed our sin, we've repented and put off the old way of thinking, we move to putting on. Right after, in Colossians 3, it says, Put on, then, as God's chosen ones, holy and beloved, compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience, bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving another as Christ, as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. We are to replace our old way of thinking with new biblical truth. We will put on right thinking about Christ and keep our eyes on him. Get into God's word and get your mind onto Christ. To sum it all up, I can tell you this. The answer to your issues with your appearance do not have a physical answer. Your answer to this problem is spiritual. You have a sin issue, a heart issue that needs to be remedied by the truth of Christ. Part of our problem when it comes to the issue of idolatry of appearance is that we think the Bible doesn't have anything to say about this. And we have to get our answers from our own wisdom the culture, books in the world, and other things. But 2 Peter 1.3 says, His divine power has granted us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him who called us to his own glory and excellence. I hope today that you have seen that the Bible does address this issue and has everything you need. Addressing a spiritual problem with a physical solution, as the world would tell you, is not what the Bible would. Truly, I believe, and Julie and I can attest to this in our own lives, that when our eyes were on Christ and not on ourselves, 
we will treat our bodies and appearance in a way that is honoring to the Lord. So Julie, with that said, what's, an appro- what's appropriate when it comes to honoring the Lord with our body? How do we actually do that practically? This is a great question because we want to go home thinking uh, rightly. And we don't want to be thinking things that aren't true. We really want to think, what does God say about this? Um, we don't want to get this impression that makeup is bad or that enjoying fun and trendy clothing is a sin or that eating a vegetarian diet is wrong. I'm going to say this a couple of times. It is not about those things. I'm going to say it one more time. It's not about whether or not you should wear makeup or enjoy fun and trendy clothing or eat a vegetarian diet. It is not about that. Makeup and clothing and food choices are not sins. They are not Okay, if it sounds like I'm being, you know, over the top of this, I don't want anyone going home and laying their head on their pillow tonight and thinking that makeup and clothing and food choices, etc., are sinful. They are not. However, sin is always about the heart. So why am I wearing my makeup? Why am I eating this food? Why am I choosing this dress to wear? Why do I want to weigh something different? This is the question we have to ask ourselves when we're putting ourselves together or thinking about our personal appearance. If there is a sin in our heart and we need to confess it, like Caitlin mentioned, sometimes I want to look like someone else or I wish uh, for this to happen. So I, I, like Caitlin mentioned a little bit ago, she thought that she could do some things that would actually equal solving her own problem. And so when we start to do that with these physical things, um, that would be idolatry. But we really want, I want to leave you with some ideas for how you can practically, or what's practical for how you can care for your body scripturally. The Bible calls us to put on humility and to practice the habit of being thankful, as she mentioned in Colossians 3. So this should be how we approach caring for ourselves physically. We need to remember that it is always about God. I am reminded of Psalm 139.14 that says that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. But so many times we make this verse about us. And this verse isn't about us at all. We go to it, we read it, we go, oh good, I hate my hair. Thankfully the Lord made it. But this isn't about us. This verse is about the Lord. It's about God and his grand design and the greatness and the fact that he has all of the knowledge in the world. And then he went and made me. This verse is about God. And so I wanted to just give you a couple of things that are, these are just amazing human body facts uh, that the Lord thought up. One of them is a baby that survives in the womb and is transitioning to the outside will undergo an immediate switchover from a circulatory system that can survive in water to one that requires oxygen in 30 minutes time. We do not have the ability to fix our own lives. God has made it so that a baby who lives in water for nine months can now live in the air. So then, girls, we're criers most of the time, aren't we? Our tears do have a cleansing effect. The Lord gave us tears and they have a cleansing effect. They contain an antimicrobial compound that produces a euphoric effect which makes us feel better. So when I sat and thought about that, I'm reminded in, in Revelation 21.4, God is going to wipe away every tear. 
And that's because I don't ever have a need to feel better again when I'm in heaven. I'm not going to need a tear. And the ones that I'm shedding here, he actually keeps in the bottle in Psalm 56, 8. So our tears are precious to him. When I ran across this next fact, I, I had to really think about this one for a minute. Because it takes about 20 seconds for one red blood cell to circulate through your entire body. How fast is this blood going? 20 seconds and it's starting in one spot and it's already back to the other. These are amazing things about the Lord. This is what Psalm 139 is about. Not, I hope I feel better today. And sleep. Sleep is that amazing thing. There was a few years ago... I wanted to know, Psalm 4, 8 says, I will lie down and sleep in peace, O Lord, for you alone make me to dwell in safety. Well, I wondered, why? Why why does the Lord need to perform such an amazing feat in order for me to sleep? He's taking care of me so I can go to sleep. So I went and did a little research and read some of the things that happen to a person when they're sleeping. Well, it happened to all of us. We have to be paralyzed in order to fall asleep. The Lord has set it up that our limbs will paralyze while you're falling asleep. Otherwise, you'd be able to run around your house. So we're thinking about the Lord. We're not thinking about ourselves. So I just want to throw a few of those things out there for you. But I also want to close with this. This is closing, so I need you to get to your small group time to have discussion. I do think there are four important things we can do when it comes to caring for our physical bodies. So write these down, take them home, whatever. These are just four things. Number one is to eat well. Now, God has created food for both our nourishment and our enjoyment. That's a whole different Bible study topic. But often we attach so much more to our food consumption than this. So we have to understand that our body is made to run with food as fuel, just like gas to a car. And without this, you will be unable to honor and glorify him and all he's called you to do. So eat well. Number two. Move your body often. In order to have strong, healthy bodies, we must use them physically. I wanted an example of someone who was strong in the Bible, and it was Proverbs 31. It says that she has strong arms. Well, how did she get those? She used them. So find a variety of activities that you enjoy doing and move your body physically. Resting. Right now, Mr. Hackman and I are reading a book on rest. It's a delightful book. We're learning a lot of things about rest that we never knew before. But I think it's a big one. Because we often just think of it as sleeping, which is true. But rest also encompasses anything that can bring refreshment to you. Um, and in our world of technology, with screens and all of the craziness that goes with all of that and social media, we need to recover from the stresses of life on a daily basis. So get some sleep. But do not forget to take a Sabbath from the other things that drain your energy. And lastly, dressing to reflect God's character and not promote your body. Can you wear makeup? Can you enjoy trendy clothes? Can you have fun with accessories? Can you do manicures and facials and fun girl beauty night? Yes, yes you can. We enjoy pretty things because God needs to enjoy the pretty things. And so we can take this back all the way to Eve. She, God placed her in the most beautiful place to enjoy a life full of many, many blessings. So he's made us to enjoy beautiful things. And so having fun and enjoying doing these things and presenting yourself well is not a sin. 
So fully enjoy and care for yourself and understand that you're doing it to honor the Lord and to bring glory to Him, not to elevate yourself and your insecurities. So Caitlin, I'm going to pray for us and then you guys can end your small groups. Lord, um, we are thankful that you brought us through this talk. Lord, we're thankful that we get to talk about how awesome you are and how you've changed our hearts and our minds. Um, I love that your word says that you renew our minds. Um, we're constantly being renewed and learning new things and, and confessing our sin and learning something new. So I just pray, Lord, that you would use this time in, in their small groups, Lord, that they would um, learn something new, that they would confess their sin, they'd be vulnerable um, and able to learn something about it. And I pray that if any of these girls are struggling or um, needing to chat about that, that you would give them the boldness to speak and the, the leaders the, the wisdom to answer the question in a way that is biblical and honoring to you. So we just thank you for that, Lord, and we pray that you bless the rest of the night. In your name, amen.